Hey folks, welcome to another episode of The Electables. Uh, this is Doug Thornell, and as always, I'm joined by my producer, Michael Pelquin. Michael, how you doing today, buddy? Oh, doing well. Can uh, Today kind of hit me that it is July, and I don't really know where 2020 is going, yet uh, feels like no time has passed, but, but somehow I can't believe we're already halfway through this year. Well, that's what happens when you're in the twilight zone yeah. or the Trump zone. Uh, time, that weird things are happening to time. It both seems like it's going by real quick and then at the same time really slowly. Yeah, um, it's odd. And you also don't remember anything anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the things that uh, it is important to remember uh, is what happened in, in 2016. Um and Michael, did you know that one of the largest misinformation campaigns in the history of this country was actually executed uh, effectively uh, in 2016 and targeting black and brown voters? That's something I did not. I knew, obviously, about the Russian the Russian efforts to um turn the election to Donald Trump and everything that the Mueller report discovered. Um, and I also know they, they definitely, they were playing on um, racial tension in this country, but the, to the, the extent of their success is, uh, I think has been really underreported. Uh, and what is clear is that these bad actors are at it again, and they are uh, looking to be uh, even more successful in 2020. Uh, and um, we're seeing that in many ways already. Uh, and we're lucky to have uh, with us today um, Andre Banks and Ashley Bryant. They are uh, the leaders of Win Black uh, Palante campaign. And um, so Ashley and Andre, welcome to the show. And I'll do a quick intro of, of, of you guys, but thank you for coming on The Electables. Glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Um, Andre uh, is uh, one of the founders and CEOs of AB Partners. Um, he, it, which is a fully integrated data-driven agency providing communication strategy, brand positioning, and content-driven message and audience testing. Um he has been uh, one of uh, leading campaigns for over 20 years, currently serves as the chair of the board of, Co of Color of Change, one of the largest racial justice organizations in the US. Uh, and prior to that, worked at um, Berlin Rosen. And Ashley is also a principal and one of the, uh, uh, a partner at AB Partners and has, uh, was, um, uh, the digital director in Ohio for the reelect campaign for President Obama, uh, and also went on to work in the private sector. Uh, and these two came together to form this very important organization, which is um, focused on combating this misinformation. Uh, and I thought now more than ever, this, you know, that having this conversation, talking about it now, uh, was critically important uh, for um, for folks to hear about what bo both what happened in 2016, but more importantly, what are organizations like Win Black Palante campaign doing to address uh, 
the matter in 2020. So, um, Ashley, let me start with you. Um, take us back to 2016. What happened? Sure. I mean, you know, one, thank you for, for, for having us on. And I think, you know, you started off fairly well of, you know, one of the largest misinfo, disinfo campaigns in our country's history happened coming out of the 2016 election, where we saw over, you know, 1.2 million foreign agents posing as black leaders um, on Facebook alone amassed a, a following of black voters and successfully, in, uh, you know, encouraged black voters to either stay home or to actually cast a vote for Trump. And so, um, you know, coming out of that knowledge, seeing, you know, this is not something that is going away. We are only seeing it evolve into, you know, the largest form of voter suppression uh, in this country's history. And so that's really, you know, what was uh, the birth of when Black Palante. Um, but Andre, do you wanna kind of frame, you know, where, where we are and, and, and how, how we've gotten here? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Just building on that, um, you know, I think, as Ashley said, it, it's not just that, you know, this campaign happened, but it's actually the the magnitude of it. Um, I mean, the kind of things that we saw in 2016, um, things that led us to create this project this year, um, were that the groups created by uh, Russian agents, largely, um, fake groups that actually impersonated black people, groups on Facebook called things like Blacktivists. Um, not only were they able to amass followers, but they actually were able to amass more followers in a period of about 18 months than the number of followers at the time that uh, Black Lives Matter, Color of Change, NAACP, and Urban League had combined. Uh, so the mainstream uh, voices that we think and who we know are really leading and organizing in communities and have been for a long time, um, you can see just the kind of scale and the level uh, of strategy to really target um, black and brown voters, recognizing how critical those voters are and how critical their energy is to any kind of success uh, within the party. So, you know, we really got started with when Black and Palante with this idea that, you know, a, a strategy that worked uh, in 2016 was likely to not be let go in 2020 uh, and that we needed to have some way to bring people together to create a different type of echo chamber uh, and really be able to uh, address the worst kinds of misinformation information and disinformation targeting black and Latinx voters. So how was the Russian internet research company able to acquire or generate 1200 or 1 1.2 million Facebook followers who are uh, black Americans, which as you point out, dwarfs uh, many of the other leading organizations. How were they able to do that? And what was the content that they were putting out that was seems to be so attractive to um, to black voters on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what we saw over and over again was a really uh, insidious set of tactics where um, on a basic level, uh, the strategy wasn't that sophisticated, actually. Um, it was really spending time, energy, and a little bit of money 
talking to black voters, um, talking to yeah. Latinx voters, starting groups um, and inviting people into them and talking to people about the issues they cared and were concerned about. You know, these are the things that, you know, any of us could do, any party could do, any organization could do, but they really focused in on it. But I think what we saw was they would start a conversation in many cases about something like mass incarceration. Um, and that conversation would begin where, you know, many of us would begin mass incarceration. This is a, a huge problem. This is a threat to black lives. This is a threat to our democracy. Um, and then instead of turning it toward, and that's why we should get involved in politics, that's why we should be engaged, um, you know, in in the sort of civic life of the country. Instead, what you see is them turning it in the other direction. They say, um, this is an example of like how this country is br is broken and has always been broken for black people. And there's no point in participating. So it's this sense of like where there's not overt voter suppression. It's this idea of like voter depression, making uh, trying to create a communities and uh, messages that are about cynicism, reinforcing the things that uh, make people either want to tune out or on election day not show up. And and um, there was also so there was an effort to suppress the vote. And then how much uh, did you got how much was targeting Hillary Clinton? And, um, you know, for example, you know, the super predator comments and sort of, uh, you know, her her husband's support for the crime bill. Did they also use that as a way to um, depress turnout for her? Absolutely. I mean, to Andre's point, it's really about, you know, transforming the narrative. And so, you know, using messages that are resonant. And, and like you said, I mean, all of us, you know, as activists or strategists in the space, we want to talk about the issues, right? The, you know, the Biden campaign, they're focused on issues, they're not focused on, um, you know, the opposition, um, which is which is a correct strategy. But I think it's it's the back end of that of not not using it to inspire or encourage people to be civically engaged, but to turn that into a negative. And so uh, it was at a window of opportunity to kind of uplift some of the old policies of, of the Clinton administration um, and really draw a, direct, draw a direct correlation to Hillary. Um, but also some of this was for, uh, visual efforts, right? Um, you're looking at an ad that you think is a, is a Hillary ad, um, there's Hillary imagery. There's even there, you know, using um, her name. But the messages are either um, really truly disinformation, where folks are being told they can vote online, they can text in to vote, so you don't have to wait in line, um, right? Which is blatant lies. So it wasn't just about using old policies or the issues that were um, that were just, you know, a, a bit. Uh, discouraging coming coming out of her candidacy, but also even using her image, but paired with um, misinformation around how you can vote, when you can vote, and and those mechanisms, which in turn, you know, a lot of folks were texting in, thinking that that was that was actually casting their ballot, um, actually saying the wrong day for for voting, saying that you can vote early in states that did not have early vote. So this is definitely a a, a wide net of the tactics used. Um, by these foreign operatives. But, you know, frankly, you know, our project, which is rooted in today, you know, these are some of the same tactics that we're we're seeing, we are prepping for, um, and are, are, are 
considerably growing. Um, and it's not just foreign agents. I mean, this is also an, an, a critical issue, as we know, our, our country being built on suppressing the votes of, of black and brown communities. And so, you know, this is evolving from a domestic standpoint as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point because the, it, right, it's not just foreign agents, and and I think we and what what are you what are you all seeing in terms of what the Trump campaign is doing as it relates to sort of the misinformation that they're trying to spread in communities of color? Yeah, I think a lot of what you see is um, you know some very similar tactics to what happened in um, in 2016. So you know you you mentioned the kind of super predators comments, and one of the ways that that became um, so influential, um, it wasn't an accident. Um, you know th what the campaign what their campaign does um, in terms of their digital strategy is they run many, many different kinds of content. They were talking about running um, uh, like 20 different variations of each kind of video that they created, testing it and actually seeing which which pieces made people the most angry, upset. Um, and in the case of, you know, black voters either drove them toward Trump or drove them to, to sit it out. And that that uh, that one of the kind of iconic super predator pieces of content was this kind of animate uh, animation piece that was in kind of a South Park style that ended up really being targeted to young black people, young black women in particular, that really helped sort of that that story emerge and really helped, again, kind of uh, push people to, to, to sit it out or, or step back. Um, I think a lot we see a lot of that same thing happening. You know, there was a, a piece in the Washington Post opinion piece by the uh, just recently uh, removed uh, campaign director of the Trump campaign, where in his final um, you know sentence of that of that opinion piece, he said, "We're going to spend the rest of this campaign talking about Joe Biden's record on criminal justice and and telling black people why he's not what what they think he is." And so I think we are likely to see some of those same kind of things um, pulling up, kind of you know isolated pieces of records out of context um, and then really trying every trick in the book uh, to make that story stick, to make it um, either discouraging to voters or to turn them toward Trump. And so how are you guys combating that, right? So Trump's doing that. The Russians are going to do it. You know, there may be some interplay. I'm sure there will be. Uh, there may be other act bad actors, right? Um, to, how, what, how are you going to combat that? What is your, like, tactically speaking, um, take our listeners through sort of what's the strategy to to um, make sure what you know obviously what happened in 2016 we can't prevent the attempts but we can put we can prevent the uh, success of what happened so I'm just curious take us through how you're gonna combat that sure and and I can start here and Andre definitely fill in any gaps but you know, I think one of the first things is for us showing up when we did, right? You know, one of the things coming out of 2016 and 2018 and beyond is, you know, not seeing the resources uh, invested in mobilizing and registering black and brown voters early enough, right? You know, often it is, you know, we're taken for granted and resources and, you know, proactive strategies are being turned on in GOTV, right, in, in, in the terms of late August and September. And so a part of, you know, why this has been something we've, we've been thinking through over the last year, um, really turning that strategy on and making sure that we have the resources available, that we can invest in our target states and really focus on uh, registering black and brown voters um, 
in this age of COVID, making sure that we're educating around vote by mail, making it easy and accessible uh, for, for our communities to, to uh, go through the vote by mail process. But all of this is really rooted in, you know, pulling together a broad network um, within the progressive ecosystem. You know, we have a network of partners, both national and state level organizations that we are working with, um, not just to share our analysis, but also develop uh, message tested content uh, stemming from, you know, the misinformation that we're seeing in the space, thinking about what are the narratives that we need to drive in order to inspire and re-engage folks to really see, you know, this not just being a critical moment, but also really feeling um, the energy to continue to be civically engaged. You know, we're not trying to show up for folks as though um, we're trying to arm people and, and they need, they need uh, you know, progressive help, right? But this is really talking, really positioning black and brown folks to really stand up in, in the midst of this uprising. Um, and we're thinking of ways of, of driving really creative and innovative content to really inspire those folks. And we're doing that through distributing that content with our state level organizations. Um, we're also working with partners, excuse me, um, that we have developed a massive content library that's completely unbranded and a free resource for organizers to use across the country um, with messages that are driving folks to want to continue to educate themselves on the issues, continue to educate themselves on the candidates that represent their values, um, and ultimately to register, to request their absentee ballots, and ultimately vote on election day. Um, and so really, you know, it's, it's kind of this three-prong approach, whether it's starting with our analysis, developing uh, th that analysis into creative content and working really closely with our partners in the space, um, especially in some of our key states like Florida, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, but really a lot of, you know, not just battleground states, but where we see we can move the needle, especially in Black and Latinx communities. How important is fact checking um, for you all in terms of, you know, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to um, generate any additional coverage of, of, of what is a, you know, not true story about something that Joe Biden said um, that BuzzFeed reported on about uh, black uh, people in a meeting with, with uh, um, black voters but it did get traction. Um, there are other instances of um, things, whether they're related to Biden or to Democrats in general, um, or to the or to the Black Lives Matter movement, where um, these actors on you know on the right um, who are you know in Trump's world or Russians will just spread things that are totally false. And um, we found it, we, we know that in this age of Trump, combating that with fact checks has been harder than in years past because you're fact checking almost everything. And then it just becomes hard for people to, you know, really to leave an impression on folks. But I'm just curious, how, is fact checking a big piece of what you're, what you try to do? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And it is a big part of, of what we do. But, you know, we see ourselves sort of um, sitting between these two kind of really critical uh, actors in this election cycle. So there's a whole set of 
journalists, fact checkers. There are some particular researchers who are just focused on misinformation and disinformation and like doing the kind of like scouring of the deep internet to understand like what's driven by bots versus what's driven by real people. Those people are our partners. We sort of work with them literally every day. We get a brief about what's going on, what are the stories that are real, what's trending, what's picking up steam. Um, on the other side of our work is that network that Ashley talked about, the 67 organizations in 13 states, that network of influencers who are trusted um, sort of people in the black and brown communities who can sort of carry the truth and true and accurate stories. And we really see the job of when black and Palante as, you know, doing the last thing that you mentioned, which is, you know, we, we're never going to research our way into political power. We have to be in the fight. It's not enough just to have the fact checked. We have to know that once we learn that it's a lie, what do we actually do about it? What's the what's the version of a story that we can tell that competes with that on people's feeds? How do we then make that happen? Not sort of a week later or two weeks later, but like an hour or two hours later so that we actually are able to have the stories, the true stories about black and brown people. What really is happening during the protests? Um, you know, what the, the true things that people really do need to know to like weigh up the candidates and understand whether or not they're earning their vote, you know, based on the merits, um, that's that's where really where we step in. We look at that research every day. We come up with a creative brief. We create content videos, memes, GIFs, anything that we think will help people understand uh, what the truth is. And then we help that broader network of folks um, get those things out as quickly as possible. What are some of the uh, what are some of the the misinformation um that is spreading right now that you're picking up what are some of the trends that you're seeing out there in the last couple weeks that you've had to combat yeah i mean one sure. thing that we oh, oh you know go, go ahead Ashley. and that's for either one of you <laughs> yeah oh, sorry <laughs> um yeah so i mean i think there's a there's a couple that that we can talk about you know um some of some of the most recent um, where we see it being more of a collective effort is, you know, for example, the um, unfortunate Kanye interview with Forbes, um, which was, you know, uh, coincidentally uh, timed with the SCOTUS decision, um, which was allowing employers to be able to um, determine not to cover birth control. Um, as a part of their health coverage. And within the Kanye interview, um, he really spewed uh, false statistics around Planned Parenthood, talking about, you know, black genocide. And, uh, you know, right wing operatives really took hold to his interview in order to uplift him as well, this is, you know, this is a leader in the in the black community that is that is speaking truth when in turn, you know, uh, Planned Parenthood, when we think, when we talk about um, their service to not just the black and, and brown community, but their service as a healthcare um, facility, you know, abortion being a topic is less than about 3% of, of the actual medical assistance that they give to black women, to Latinx women. Um, and so this was something that we really found it important for us to think about how do we help our organizations message around, you know, not just saying, 
don't listen to Kanye, right? But also more so talking about let's not be distracted. Um, and we really use this opportunity to uplift the voices of black and brown women in the space, of black men in the space that were uh, rightfully coming to the defense of Planned Parenthood, talking about the actual work of Planned Parenthood that is very um, advantageous and, and of great value to all communities. Um, and so really thinking strategically around how, how are we going to develop the right types of messages to really play down you know, this, this ridiculousness coming from, from, from Kanye, but again, also wanting to make sure that people knew, you know, let's not be distracted. Let's keep focused on, you know, what issues are really critical to our communities and what's at stake and also being able to show them who should really be your validators um, in these narratives. Let's not use a, a music genius to also then tell us how we should uh, use our bodies and who should tell us, you know, who has the right to choose with our own bodies. And so I think that's a, a, an example of, you know, really seeing that the right wing uh, being able to use Kanye to their advantage, but us really teaching um, our and partnering with our organizations to really talk about what, the, the real narrative here um, and being able to amplify the right voices to be able to speak on behalf of, of black and brown women. And and I'll give one more example, um, you know, that that was uh, sort of following closely on the heels of that one. Um, you know, a lot of people saw in the last uh, week or so this uh, sort of big story about the CEO of Goya um, sort of speaking out in support of the Trump administration. And what we what we sort of tracked through, you know, our team and some of our research partners was that, you know, suddenly this story started to pick up a lot of steam and there started to be this sort of, um, you know, initially sort of criticism of the CEO. And then it seemed like there was this kind of counter movement of people who were actually supporting the CEO uh, for, you know, aligning themselves to to, to the Trump administration. Um, you know, with some additional digging, what we actually found out was that there was one single bot that was <laughs> that had generated 7000 messages on Facebook in a period of, you know, less than less than a day. And so a lot of the traffic that we were seeing, a lot of what looked like conversations or engagements, comments were actually being generated by a bot that had just identified um, a person having identified um, sort of a conversation that was trending, pointing this bot toward it and then actually driving up, um, driving that conversation up. Um, what was even more sort of interesting and, and problematic about it was that when you looked at how it was, where it was driving the conversation. Like it's not just intervening in it, but ultimately a bunch of the traffic was ending up at the White House's Hispanic Empowerment Initiative. So this is the kind of thing I think we we sort of wake up every day and think about and that we realize we're up against. Um, you know, it looks like we're having a reasonable argument with somebody on Facebook about like what should be the right way for somebody in the corporate community to engage with an administration that has, you know, to say not been a friend of uh, Latinx people is is putting it far too gently. Um, but but actually what we realize is that in many cases, this might be bot traffic. And, and these are the kind of things that we as organizers and as communicators need to know. So, you know, our response to this was actually to make a sort of piece of content that was themed on kind of the Goya recipe and Goya label, actually talking about the recipe for misinformation and helping explain to people how these kind of bots, how this kind of activity really drives a conversation in, in, in the wrong direction and things we can do to stop it. How many Twitter handles were actually involved in that effort? You, 
is it, I mean, so you mentioned there was what, 7,000, was it 7,000 tweets or is just, what was the? It's 7,000 messages or posts. So it was okay. from one, actually one account, but sort of showing up on 7,000 other people's, not necessarily 7,000 feeds, but making 7,000 comments or other kinds of engagements on other people's feeds. Gotcha. So seven, so people saw this uh, bot and they either retweeted it, they commented on it, they retweeted or comment, they liked it. Exactly. But it was actually one. <laughs> and and do we know who the bot, like, do we, have, we don't know who controlled the bot, do we? we? We don't know, but what we were able to find, and this is sort of like what our, our research team does when we see these things pop up is, you know, if you do a little bit more digging, you can really track back, um, you know, through some of the social net, social listening tools that are out there now um, to see where conversations are starting, who's really driving a conversation, who's like the influencer that's really pushing a certain uh, debate in a direction. And what we found when we worked our way all the way back was a single Facebook page that had no followers but made 7,000 posts <laughs> about <laughs> 7,000 posts or engagements in sort of this very short period of time um, and then you know it's not just one post but it's like the way the bot works it's able to like if it responds and somebody responds to it it can respond again and ultimately then drop links or drive you you know drive the sentiment of the conversation and then also actually drive traffic uh to, to other places online including in this case to the uh to, to a, a white house project that had been heavily criticized yeah and i think you know this is one thing just from a technology standpoint right where we're in this we're in this long conversation around what is the responsibility of these platforms, right? Twitter has done some significant changes uh, and Facebook is seemingly trying to make some changes here. But I think this is such a great example of for all of the algorithms and teams that Facebook has, you know, no one user who's a real person can post 7,000 times in four days, right? And so right. I think this is where some of this just becomes almost laughable when, you know, leadership pretends as though it's just so hard and it's so um, it's so difficult to watch for these things and shut them down in real time. But, you know, to Andre's point, you know, this is, it, it's prolific that a, a, organization like Facebook that is so technologically savvy and has literally wrote the playbook on these things cannot identify that this is obviously a bot and it can't be shut down way before we get to 7,000 posts after four days straight, right? And so I just think this is a this is a great example of this is what we're up against and how important it is for some of these platforms to really take accountability. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great point. And I was that was going to be my next question. Just sort of what is the responsibility of these tech platforms? Um, what would you if you were Ashley or Andre, if if you were advising Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or, you know, um, um, uh, um, Snapchat, what what? What are two or three things or four things that is based off of sort of what you guys are doing with Winblack and Palante that they could do to better, I don't know, police their, um, their, their platforms and their users? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, there there are a lot of things. And, you know, and I think there are a lot of things that have actually been well documented. Like, I think this is a case where we can rattle off a few, but many people have like made the case to uh, Facebook in particular, um, you know, of what what really needs to be done here, you know, sort of putting on my hat as a as a board member of, of Color of Change. Um, you know, that organization has really led this recent boycott, uh, along with several other groups of uh, Facebook advertising, exactly because uh, the company won't take a set of re- really reasonable steps. So these include um, taking up the recommendations of their own civil rights audit, which they have like recently made public. So like even if they just did what their own audit uh, asked them to do, that would be a great start. Um, I think there are other things like take the t- to Ashley's point, take these posts down, take these uh, fake users down as soon as you see them, create an infrastructure as one of the biggest companies in the world uh, to make it possible that as soon as a, a bad actor, an obvious bad actor is identified for that, uh, those people to come down, you know, there are people every day who are sending these things into Facebook and like waiting and waiting and following up and trying to get action on them. And, and, and as we all know, um, you know, a tweet lasts for 13 seconds. Um, if we're not uh, in, in, in a one that's like, you know, trending, if it, if it may at best last for a few hours. So this is something that really needs a, just a different level of, of in, infrastructure and urgency. Um, and I would think overall, you know, one of the biggest problems uh, that we have is, you know, n- is that in a lot of ways, Facebook or Reddit or Twitter, they're, they just can't police themselves on this, actually. They are actually at counter motives, um, and they are disincentivized uh, to reduce uh, the level of this kind of nefarious activity because it also has a sometimes has a negative effect or at least a confusing effect uh, on their bottom line. And so I think this is really where we actually need regulation. We really need, like, this is where, you know, the federal government really needs to step in and say, let's create some rules. Rules, rules of the road in order to protect our democracy, in order to protect information, in order to make sure that we could have a civil discourse that like continues to make sense and also continues to, you know, get more people engaged in the process and not sort of shut more people out of it. I'm, uh, I am on um, your uh, website. Uh, it's abpartners.co blog and then fight for the base. And uh, there's a great section in here that I, I wanted to read because, uh, because I, I wanted to ask you guys, what can, uh, what can we do? What can listeners do? What can folks who are really eager to get in the, you know, to sort of help fight this, what can they do? And I, I'll read this and then you guys can, 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 can weigh in. But um, the title, the, the, the title of the section is let's do this. I'm looking at you to bring this strategy to life. We're on the hunt for partners working across the country who need support fighting misinformation. We're looking for the top political content and media strategists to bring this effort to life and counter the Republican flood of shit strategy with incisive scroll stopping culture jamming creative. That's fantastic. Um, so it, uh, what does that mean though? Like, are you, will you, you know, there's a lot of, I, I, there's a lot of actually, as you all know, creative folks out there. There's a lot of people who, uh, are at home now who want to get involved. How do they get involved? How would they work with uh, Win Black and Palante? How do they contact you? What What are the next steps? Yeah, you know, actually, we um, we are just today launching WinBlack.org. So that's the, the the 
easiest answer is at winblack.org. There's a sign up and that's where we're inviting all the people that you just described. We're inviting creatives uh, to sort of join us and help take up this mission of like finding, uh, you know, provocative ways to tell the story of how, um, you know, we how we win when we show up and also to counter some of the worst misinformation. Um, that's also a place where if you join that list, we are, you know, all the content that we're creating, we've currently created hundreds of graphics. We've created a dozen videos. All of these things we're providing free of charge. They're unbranded and we are pushing them out to people who care about this, who have it, who have an interest just in like, you know, starting the right kind of conversation and helping it get, get the attention that it deserves. So if you join us there, that also is a place where we can make sure that, you know, in real time, we're sharing all that with you. You know, we're also on Twitter and Instagram uh, at, at We Win Black. Yeah, and I also say if there if there are listeners that are part of grassroots organizations that are looking for, um, you know, partners in this space to help you think about, you know, your mobiliz mobilization strategy. Like we mentioned, we have over 67 partners in, in our influencer network and we're growing. Um, and so we'd love for you to reach out to us via that sign up. Um, we are inviting state and national level partners into that network to help think about our content that we're creating, understanding their work. Um, and so definitely reach out to us if you are um, an organizer or a representative to a, a grassroots group. This is certainly a, a time where we are trying to grow that network and, and really create some deeper partnerships with the folks on the ground. That's great. Um, uh, before you all go, uh, I need to ask both of you guys this question because we ask it of all our guests. Uh, we think it's really important for folks to understand how you got to where you are. Andre, how did you how did you get involved in politics? What what lit that fire for you? Talk us and sort of tell us about your your career, how how you ended up, um, you know, finding AB partners and now um, getting involved in this important effort. Oh wow! Uh, great, great question, and I'll, I'll try to give you, I'll try to give you the short version of that story. Yeah, the it has, short version. It has some real twists and turns, but you know, I'll I'll say initially, um, I really got on the path to politics through student activism. I went to I'm from Ohio. Actually, Ashley and I are both from Cincinnati, Ohio, um, and I went to to school at Ohio State. And uh, in my senior year of college, um, Ohio State is one of the biggest employers in the state, um, certainly in the city, and uh, all of the work and the food service and who worked in the landscape and who kept the, the buildings clean all went on strike. This is a, a union local that was 80% uh, black women and hadn't had a raise in a dozen years. Um, and a group of students got involved, very involved in that campaign, including me. And that really transformed sort of my understanding of what it meant to do organizing, what it meant to come together with people and build movements and build power. Um, and that job, that actually campaign led me to um, my first job real job, a grown-up job, which was uh, leading the national student program at the AFL-CIO. So really working with um, labor unions and student groups to sort of replicate some of that, that those kind of moments on campus. So that was really, for me, a, a great introduction um, to be able to understand the range of sort of progressive and political and movement uh, actors that were out there. And then, you know, from there to sort of following, really following my interests and and, and looking for ways to stay involved in, in racial justice work in particular, and, and always with that kind of um, element of how do we, how do we tell the story and how do we make sure that our stories are powerful? So that, 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 that was my, my way in. Ashley, uh, same question to you. Sure. 
You know, I wish I, I wish I could say this has always been my passion, <laughs> but um, I actually started, you know, in traditional marketing in the private sector where I thought I probably would have retired. Um, but I ended up moving to Chicago and, and I had been in the digital strategy space with Procter and & Gamble and, and, and then uh, Weber Shanwick in Chicago. Um, and with the reelect being headquarters in, in Chicago, um, started getting some some messages and having some conversations to try my luck on a campaign. And that really is what spurred um, where I am now. I mean, I you know joined the, the Obama campaign and most folks, if you've done a presidential, sometimes you, you leave it and you go never again in life. <laughs> and so um, I came off the campaign, but I quickly realized that the work is, is not done. And I think to any, um, you know, individual voter, right, as we preach about, you know, you can't just stop with the president. It goes, you have to start with your local elections. Um, it's easy to preach that, but it, it's it's harder to walk it. And I think that was my first realization of this work is across a vast spectrum. Um, and so I really wanted to find ways to use my talents um, in order to start working in, in the political space more deeply. And then over the last couple of years, really trying to laser focus that, you know, similar to Andre, really finding the projects that I felt were really investing in uh, black communities, specifically uh, uplifting and amplifying the stories of people of color, but also just really organizing in a way that we are seen as the base. Um, we're not seen as a line item in a strategy. We're not seen as a minority, but helping organizations really truly understand that this is is now the, this is the face of our democracy as black and brown folks. Um, and so I actually met Andre working um, both as consultants on, on Black PAC um, in 2016. And, and I've found my way now uh, working uh, at Andre's firm um, <laughs> and doing some of the same work. So I think, you know, it's, it's definitely been a unique path for me, um, but I, I'm excited to continue this journey. That's awesome. And um, look, I think the work you all are doing is so important and it's so valuable. Um, and um, look, I think it, 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 uh, the, 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 the state of the country, the future of the country <laughs> is at stake in this election. And, um, you know, this work that you're doing to combat the misinformation, disinformation that is being uh, targeted to uh, black and brown communities is um, just fantastic. Um, I uh, I want to let you all know you guys are welcome back anytime uh, to the electables. Did I did I miss anything? Anything else you all want to discuss before I let you go? Did I cover everything? No, I think this was great. Thank you for yeah. the opportunity to chat the project. Yeah, really, absolutely. Really and glad for the time. Uh, and so, Andre, you mentioned that there's a new website that is, uh, it's what's win, the website? winblack.org. Okay. And then um, the handles that people can follow you at on Twitter and Instagram are? We, are, we win black on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, and on TikTok. Great. Great. Okay. Uh Andre Banks, Ashley Bryant, thank you so much for coming on The Electables. Really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Stay safe out there and healthy. Um, and as I said before, you're welcome back anytime. 
Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. For my producer, Michael Pelquin, uh, this is Doug Thornell, uh, and this has been The Electables. Uh, as a reminder, if you're interested in starting your own podcast or um, video series on YouTube, uh, check out uh, my producers, Michael Pelquin and Kenny Day. They are two of the best in the business. You can reach Michael uh, at michael at airsnext.com. They have been so uh, instrumental in uh, the success of this podcast. Uh, so if you've got your uh, if you've got ambitions about starting up a podcast, talk to those two there. They'll help you uh, again. Thank you to my guests. Uh, this is Doug Thornell. And uh, as I said before, stay safe, stay healthy, take care of one another. Talk soon. <laughs>